Hi, and welcome to Pass the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Award podcast, where we talk about the various films nominated for MTV Movie Awards, all the different categories year by year, and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Grigg, a foremost kissing expert. And joining us today, um, a dance expert, a step-spurt, if you will, and host of the one of the hosts of the Can I Kick It podcast is Emilio Diaz. Emilio, how are you today? Uh, hello, I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, chilling. Glad to be on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, great. We're glad glad to have you. I was very excited that you wanted to come on the show to talk about Best Kiss 2008. And I I think I usually say the year before we do the guess. I, I know we're we're a bit all over the place on this show, so. <laughs> But one question that we like to ask all our guests, <laughs> no and and I don't think Ben and I have ever answered this question ourselves, and probably never will, but I like asking the guests is, uh, what is your history with kissing in the movies or otherwise? Wow, that's really putting me on the spot. Let's start with movies. Movie-wise, I think a kiss is always like, it's like a fun thing to see. I'm not going to say all. I'm not. I'm going to take out the qualifier of always. It's not always a fun thing to see. I think sometimes it can be used to weird effect. Like intentional. Inten- we can definitely attest to that 100%. Yeah. Sometimes intentionally and sometimes non-intentionally. You know, sometimes the, the weird kisses are on purpose. And like weird portrayal of that sort of sensuality are purposeful. But uh. You know, I I just I like enjoy a romantic movie, which is not a thing that I obviously like growing up as like a young male. It's not a thing I used to value a lot. It's not a thing I really used to think about a lot. But then like as I sort of matured and became more into like different kinds of movies and like got into like rom-coms and got into like art housey stuff, I sort of appreciated kissing and that sort of like closeness and romance in movies uh like one of my favorite directors maybe my favorite director is Wong Kar Wai who is like this like international auteur like director from Hong Kong who makes these like very it's hard to describe sort of like light avant-garde but actually just like creatively and artistically made romance movies about just people who just sort of can't be together and just like I think he's a very interesting director of like proximity between humans and what that causes people to think and feel about each other. And I, he's like an amazing portrayer of kissing and that sort of sensuality. And that sort of like got, he's sort of the person who got me to think about it in sort of a more complex way than what I used to. Cause it's like, kissing is something that is just like so elemental you know that it's just like you never really think about like why is this a thing we do or like what is like good or hot about it it's just a thing that you know in your brain works that way but it it is sometimes fun to think about why a kiss works and why it doesn't which is why i was glad to do why i'm glad to do the podcast as for my personal history not i mean there's it's like not sort of a not a lot I'll, i'll just leave it at that it's fair. It's in a similar place. It's, but I think at least movie-wise, might be the best answer we've got on that yet. That's like really cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I truly, 
did not know how deep or like I, I truly just like tr tried to give a thoughtful answer. I did not. I do not know how often, how long people usually go on that question. Oh, I mean, we can go as I think we can go as long as they want. Can be as thoughtful as you want, as goofy as you want. It's maybe we should have more of a s style here, but I think sometimes it's just interesting to talk and see what happens. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, but to go on to 2008 for MTV Movie Awards, uh, it's an interesting year. Uh, I think they, I think they mentioned this is they're officially post, yeah, post the time of, at least post the initial time he eventually comes back of their original exec producer Joe Gallen, director of Not Another Teen Movie. And you can tell they're like playing around with categories. It's, this year seems weirdly light in terms of categories, which is maybe why they 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 did a thing with best performance. But I noticed where it used to be best male performance and best female performance, and then they made it gender neutral for a couple years. But now for two thousand eight, they have split that back to best male performance and best female performance. Which has now become ironic as Elliot Page won Best Female Performance for his role in Juno, um, which we'll talk about in a bit. But hey, yes, that's what you get for like trying to backpedal <laughs> from progress, MTV. Exactly, Just, make you look yeah. like a fool. Yeah, the, I assume it's like the reason why anybody, it's like why that ever happens, where it's just like. Well, if we have two categories, we can have double the amount of people nominated and have double the amount of people show up, which is like always the problem with these sorts of things where it's like, uh, obviously, I I think I prefer the uh, non-gendered version because I think it's just like right and it's like dumb that we gender it in the first place. But then you just like are sort of recognizing less people which is not really a thing i like really care about in terms of the mtv movie awards because it's not like i am like it's not like this is doing that much for anybody's career but it is like a thing to think about generally you don't think will smith benefited from winning best male performance for i am legend listen i mean <laughs> Did he show up and get it? I truly did not. I the only thing I watched from this awards show was I watched the the best kiss acceptance. That I truly did not watch the rest of it, so I have no idea yeah. about like whether any of these people yeah. show up. Um, yeah, or like what? MTV Movie Awards stuff notoriously, or it's been pretty difficult to find clips online. There is a clip I didn't watch it of Adam Sandler who won the MTV Generation Award performing "Nobody Does It Better." from James Bond with which I might go back for that later. Um, I really want to, I'm really upset that this year's best kiss presentation thing wasn't there because it was, and I'm going to send like a picture in one of the chat chat there. And it was presented by Megan Fox and Rain Wilson. And who I guess both were doing shooting transformers two together. Um, all right, I've set an image, I'll let you guys look at it, just, I'm gonna describe, Ray, Megan Fox is in a nice dress, Rain Wilson is in underwear, and has roses. <laughs> Why is it like this? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, how was, how was this not one of the things they put video footage of? Oh like, yeah, like, finding, um, 
finding like whole footage of like the entire show it's not impossible i was doing it actually last night to try and because i in the future um a lot of the the kiss categories are going to start to be slowly dominated by tv shows which they don't want to tell you like the episode it's in um and as much as i would love to to watch all of um all of riverdale uh i i can only have so many hours in a week um but yeah i don't know why this one would be just like I want to see what's happening here. Absolutely. Yeah, but next year, but like next year when we get to 2009, we're gonna have like no problem finding a video of cool guys don't look at explosions, like, which which is also good. I'm not saying that's bad. Oh, yeah. I just I want to see what's going on here. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's 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 lost media. You know, someone needs to uh, archive it better. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It also might just be like a Viacom weirdness thing, I would also assume. Yeah. Well, Viacom should put those old award shows up on, like, Paramount Plus. Do something with it. Like, um, but, anyways, this show was broadcast live on June 1st and hosted by Mike Myers. Um, Transformers won Best Movie this that year. So... Yeah, in a funny cat, all of these categories, it's just like, I don't know, I guess this might just be par for the course for MTV Movie Awards, but I think it's like, it's just like a weird collection of movies. Yeah, it's really like kind of baffling what they choose to pick sometimes, even like for the nominees and like some things that just don't get touched on. Yeah, in the early years, there was some. Sometimes there was weird overlap with like best picture winners, but you would get like Shakespeare in Love, and there's something about Mary in like the best movie category, both there. Yeah, there's something about Mary wins, of course. <laughs> Juno is like this year's like Oscar play and MTV Movie Award play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well. Oh yeah, Juno gets a few nominations. So with less categories, there's less chance. I don't think any anything is ever going to top Speed, which is somehow the most nominated MTV Movie Award movie with nine nominations. <laughs> Sometimes they get it right. Yeah, listen, yeah. I, I listen. Speed might not have you know the the best of everything, but it has a little bit of everything enough to get it nominated for a bunch of stuff. Also, this is, I guess this happened last year, but I forgot to mention it, but this is uh, the point where the voting for MTV has switched from, like, phone voting to uh, to web voting, which is probably going to play a lot into some of the movies that are getting winning and nominating in future years, if not this year as well, Um, but... I feel like that may have factored into the best kiss thing, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, or yeah. actually, without, <laughs> unless anyone has ever, yeah, exciting thoughts on what was going on in their lives at 2008, I think we can get too into it. Yeah, um, I yeah, 2008 definitely like happened. Not much that super like came out. I guess this was the year, or this at least was like the nomination year. I'm seeing that Beowulf is on here. This like bafflingly animated, I would say, for like no real reason. I would say because they just. It's a 3D animated movie, but it's just... Oh, Beowulf is incredible. It's incredible, but why do you even, why do you even bother if you're just going to try and make it look like people? Well, it, look, Robert Zemeckis was in his mocap phase. He was, like, trying to get it. And I think he pulls it off of that one. Uh, like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. 
But yeah, um, without further ado, for Best Kiss 2008, the nominees are Amy Adams and Patrick Dempsey, Enchanted, Shia LaBeouf and Sarah Romer, Disturbia, Elliot Page and Michael Sarah, Juno, Daniel Radcliffe and Katie Lung, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, and the winner is Brianna Evagon and Robert Hoffman. Step up to the streets, which is where we will start. Um. Yeah, um, I just want to start off because it is something that I noticed. I think this is like, this I think is the, unless I'm forgetting one, this is like the third entry, I would say, in the spiritual trilogy of um, of Drumline, uh, Stomp the Yard, and this one of like, weird alternative sport type movies but i would say this i th- i'm gonna say dancing is a bit more legitimate I, yeah yeah I, I i would say that too um well not legitimate but like mainstream, yeah, mainstream. than like but I, fraternity stomping yeah. or drum i would line. say that it fits in the same vein where it's like it's like outsider goes to new school and like has like a weird different way of doing things that like needs to be like recognized as pretty good I think this is like the first one that spends like a legitimately long amount of time on like the actual love story of it, whereas the other two kind of feel like it's a little more. I think probably Drumline has like the least involvement. I would say like Stomp the Yard is somewhere in between these two, and I think this one puts like the most emphasis on like the romance between the two characters. Yeah, I mean, because it's like. A sequel to Step Up, which is like, which I haven't seen, but I, my understanding is that movie is just like straight up mostly just like a romance between two people. So, and this one is like a little less that than that one, but it's still like, it sort of has to have the bones of like this sort of outsider love story. These two people have a different look on things and they sort of meet in the middle through the, their passion for dance or whatever. Yeah. Um, this sort of reminds me of uh, Kenny. I remember on on your birthday we watched that one movie that this is like so like heavily similar to. I would say work it. Yeah, work it. Um, <laughs> I like. Yeah, it's definitely like a genre of movie, but it just like I think if I had to describe this movie in one word, and I I don't mean this like negatively. I don't even think I. I don't know if I mean it all that positively, but it definitely is fitting in that it's like, it's pretty corny. Like there's plenty of like lines that are like supposed to be like really dramatic that are just like, kind of like, like, I don't know, maybe I need to watch the first one for more context that just seem like really like, kind of like, um, I don't know. I feel like these stakes just aren't as high in this movie as I've seen in other ones for like the amount of like dramatic weight being put a lot behind a lot of the lines. No, for sure. And it's like, it's also like has a weird amount of like, it's all, it has a weird balance of just like whether this is an ensemble movie or whether this is just a movie about like two people or whether it's just a movie about a main character. It's just like, it has a lot of stuff going on and I don't think it like truly ever like, finds the balance yeah. in a way that's like satisfying yeah it, it does yeah. it definitely feels like it kind of it, especially near the end it sort of like rushes that one like or not near the end somewhere near the middle when they start they get like the whole team together and it's like i think like 
between all of them except for like the main crew like that the, their entire ensemble like it's barely any lines for them like it's it's just sort of drummed together like really really fast where it's like oh yeah this kid yeah this kid does x but he also dances oh this kid he does y but he also dances and it's just like a scene where that happens like six times and then they just have a crew together yeah yeah I was excited to see Harry Shum Jr. pop up because I'm a big fan of his character on Glee. And this was like pre-Glee, so I'm like, oh, finally, he, he he didn't always have a lot to do on Glee. He'll have something here. And then he's just kind of like a side, like just off to the side most of the time. Like it's Yeah. Also, I wanted to say this at the beginning of us talking about this. Like, man, I didn't notice, but like Step Up is like really... Um is really uh what, what's the correct word i guess like defined by having like really like sexy posters or like trying to be sexy posters oh yeah Dan- dancing is sexy like that's why so many churches do- used to not allow it <laughs> yeah i mean it's one of the th- i it's like because I've seen the I've seen two and three. I have not seen the first one or the fourth one. I've seen bits and pieces of the fourth one and like bits and pieces of the fifth one. And like my understanding is that they do sort of get more ensemble and the and the characters that do continue through it are like Moose played by Adam Savani and like Allison Stoner and like different people who like stay around as like different parts of the like crew and get like a bit more time to shine as just like characters instead of just dancers but again the series has its bones as like a like two-person romance of like obviously like Channing Tatum met his wife his now ex-wife like making that first one and they like got married so it's like the there they are very they are intentionally so i think like romance slash like sexiness forward and then eventually become more about like dancing and finding your crew or whatever and this movie is maybe the one that has like the most like awkward jumble of the two of trying to be a movie that is both things yeah because there's a love story but also like there's a crew thing also shannon tatum like is in it briefly for roughly the same amount of time as his appearance in free guy um (laughs) Except not as good as his appearance in Free Guy, but <laughs> but I mean, he's like a he's like another weird like he's like sort of like almost Matt Damon-y and that he just like showing he's just like showing up in movies because he's also in Hateful Eight for like a scene also. Yeah, obviously. So so he just like will just show up. Yeah. And- yeah. Interesting guy, Shannon Tatum, and we'll, we'll we'll get to him eventually when he gets nominated for I think The Vow is his like big MTV Best Kiss play, but but yeah, um, Step Up Two is like I I you know what it's it's not its fault that I've seen so many similar movies like similar structured movies to this one, um, like on this very very list that like I just like. It was pretty, like, fun, and it was fine, but it was just, like, kind of played out by this point, in my opinion. Um, I mean, this one, her structure of the antagonist answering was, like, her old crew or something. And 
Yeah, and like that was kind of interesting, but like I think yeah, kind of like um, Emilio says, it's like juggling way too much, and it ends up not super focusing on anything. Where like it's kind of about the old gang like feeling like betrayed, but it's also kind of about her being in this new school, but it's also kind of about um, uh, Robert Hoffman and his like brother like having like a weird rivalry, and it, like. And it's also kind of about, like, them getting the crew together. It's just, like, kind of about a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, what I will say in its favor is, like, the reason as, like, when I was younger I watched it a lot is that I think... I think the dancing is well executed and I think it has a lot of personality, which is why I think a lot of people took to it. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think I agree with that. I, I think if I were to have what, not, I think I think if I were to have not like watched Stomp the Yard like a week ago, I think I probably would have enjoyed this movie so much more. Um, and also, like, not to get into like like kind of spoilery for the rest of this list, like this year was like a good year for movies for like these um for these recommendations, like surprisingly to or surprisingly not so surprisingly for me. And this one always comes at like the end of all my all my watching. So I feel like th- this one, to its credit, I think this movie had um, all my personal biases like rigged against it as many as possible, and I still came out like enjoying it by the end. Honestly, yeah, I'll say again with this film, it's it's really about the dancing for me. Like John Chu, like really good at directing like choreography and stuff. Like in the, in the Heights, a film I liked a lot, and obviously there's been some was. Some controversies there, and then it also wasn't really seen, but it became a TikTok, like, popular TikTok, like, meme this summer. Oh, so that's so something, funny. But, like, there is some incredible <laughs> dancing in it. Like, just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, in the Heights is, um... It's alright. Uh, man, I, I... If I had a nickel for every time I watched a movie and was like, man, I wish that wasn't so long. Um... But yeah, I think it suffers from that a little bit too. I, I know there's a little bit of controversy with um, a little bit, of that, but I'm not I'm not nearly well well read enough on that to to make any strong comments about it. Yeah, it's... I'll say if like if somebody watched this one and was like, I don't know if I think this movie's great, but there's like I like the dancing and there's some stuff to it. I think 3D is worth watching as I think a movie that like has a better balance and better knows what it is a little better and like it's still well shot yeah, and has like, a lot like, of, like step personality. up one is like the romance movie this movie's kind of like the awkward transition between like romance movie and a dance movie and then i'm assuming from what you're saying step up three is like that that pretty hard commitment into being like a pretty good dance movie i would say yeah, it's just, like, a pretty good dance movie, and it still has some element of just, like, well, we need to win the dance competition so they don't shut the rec center down or whatever, <laughs> it, but it's, like, small enough. Is it literally that, you that can or just is like, that, like, uh... a... <laughs> okay. I, I don't... It's not literally a, a rec center, but I think it is something along yeah. those lines, I'm pretty sure. It is, it is, it is like, they will shut uh, this thing down if we don't, if we don't win this uh, dance competition. I'll... Oh, yeah. Here's a plot question I had about Step Up too, because I think this. Did they ever explain why street dancing is illegal? Like, um, I think, I think it could kind of be inferred that like it's like a form of public disturbance. Like in like the first scene when they're like on like the subway doing all that stuff, I feel like there's like enough of justification there for like 
the powers that be to kind of be like, well, this is like, this is disturbing the peace and like, you can't do this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like obviously driving cars isn't illegal, but if you're doing st- street racing, then that is the point at which it makes it illegal. It's like once you just, just like congregate a bunch of people in a place that, that you are like technically not allowed to be or whatever, it there will be problems involved. Though I will agree that it's like almost all of these sorts of movies, there is, there is too much of just like people being like, but you're a dan. Why? Why do you have to be a dancer? Can you just put your head in the books or whatever? And it's just like I don't know if that this is that much of a problem that this person enjoys dancing. <laughs> yeah, it's also because no, again, not to keep bringing out like Song of the Yard, but like Song of the Yard, at least you have the sense that in the it opens with a like sequence where it's like some again kind of underground dance scene, and at least that ends and like Chris Brown dies. So you're like, oh, okay, there's some kind of risk here, and then that doesn't really factor into much of anything else other than like him having residue guilt or whatever, but it's like, maybe you should have had Chris Brown in this one and killed him off. Like, give me some sense of, like, <laughs> an element of danger. Yeah, a little bit like, of urgency. Um, a thing I really liked about this movie was when they they made that, like, video where they were just, like, dancing behind, like, I think one of the closest things this movie has to, like, somewhat of an antagonist. Not really. He's, like, he's just not in it super a lot. But, um, and then they just, like, hide fish in his house. Yeah, it, it yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I did Google Step Out 3D quickly, and it is that they own a warehouse that they want to turn into a club that might get shot, shut down, and they need to win a competition <laughs> for that. That is uh, what the plot of that awesome. movie is. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. But- yeah, I think all that's left to do at this point is talk about the kiss. Like, yeah, we haven't really summarized movie, it, but again, if uh, if you've seen Saw at the Yard or Drumline, you have a good sense of what this movie is about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this movie and also Disturbia, I think, and Enchanted a, a little bit too. This year is like full of like little like uh, like teases of a kiss before like the actual kiss later on in the movie and i think this has like a scene that like i kind of like a little more than like the the ending kiss where like they're in like the tree together i kind of like that like a little more than like the ending big rain kiss um because even for like a rain kiss there's not really anything else super interesting about it honestly like it kind of I think my expectation for rain kisses is just maybe a little too high now because I've seen so many. I know I know how to to sniff out the good ones. I'll say it's definitely a high energy kiss. Like well, it comes after the big final dance number, which help, helps it. Like yeah, um, as yeah, as we'll talk about next year. Like if like I'm definitely susceptible if you put a kiss after like a big musical number or like a big like splashy dance thing. Like it's like yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I might be the opposite in that I think, like, just taken as the kiss purely itself, I think it's, like, pretty good. They seem to have nice chemistry. They seem to, like, li- enjoy kissing each other. There's some passion behind it. But it, it's, like, after, like, seven minutes of dancing or whatever that is, like, pretty tight, pretty close to each other. And, like, the aestheticism of them, like, w- like pulling it all off it is it all it almost feels like redundant it almost just feels like yeah yeah this is what's happening now like we need to kiss now because it's the end 
rather than feeling like this might, like big yeah. ecstatic moment. Yeah, it might have worked in better as like a, a introduction to like the big final dance off. Oh yeah. Oh, interesting. I can like. I think that's swaying me again, yeah, against this one a bit because here I it's kind of like redundant where it's like, oh yeah, but yeah, because it's like there there is a type of musical number where it's just like if it's like something where people are like playing a little coy or it's like a little romantic or it's like something like that, then I can see like a kiss at the end of it, like really yeah. bringing it home and doing it. But this one, it's like, yeah, everything that needs to be communicated about. That those two romantically has already been said by the time they kiss. Yeah, I can do that though. I'm not gonna be so easily swayed next year, Ben, when I get to the big high school musical three kiss. That's your, but <laughs> which is after a song. Oh, but... that's gonna that's gonna be so <laughs> manipulative. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tr- I'll try and see past it so that way we can get a, a sobered opinion. <laughs> It's going to be our longest episode because half of it's going to be just me yelling at you <laughs> about that movie for like... Oh, I can't wait. I I was telling... I, oh, sorry, go on. I was telling Jack, I'm like, maybe we'll go over the three-hour episode, Mark, that you almost made us do, but... <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to finish the High School Musical 3 trilogy like over a decade later. Um yeah, I truly have the also not yeah, seen High School listen, Musical three. You can't put it in the theaters. Like I didn't have allowance at that point. Like enough saved up to go. You have to put it on the Family Channel. I'm. Yeah, it was like it, and it was one of those things where it's like, again, this is like as a like sort of a typical dumb boy. It was just like. Well, if the movies are at home, I can yeah. sort of just watch, you can them watch them in private like, next yeah, to my exactly. sister, and there's like no judge. Yeah, private, and there's no, like no judgment, and it's all fine. But if you like are making me go to a theater and get a ticket and have to go watch it with other people because I can't be there alone, then yeah. it's like that's the point where me feeling judged is gonna, it's 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 just like gonna cross a line where yeah. I'm just like, well, I guess I won't I mean, watch this. And not to get too much like Sumi's Gold Dog before like Ben and I go deep next week, but like I didn't. I didn't actually see it in a theater, but I did like rent it as soon as it hit to the local video stores with, because that was like within my means of doing. And I'll say it's it's really funny just watching watching it compared to the other two because the lighting in three is just so much better because it's like big screen theater lighting. So like immediately you're like. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's like a theater movie with a budget versus two yeah. TV movies. So I do imagine that there's like a, yeah. diff- a noticeable difference in that. Yeah, sort I mean, of the second one has oh, actually, um, yeah. La- yeah. the second one has more of a budget than one, and then the third one is just like a full on movie budget. It's like, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think, yeah. Last thing I'll say about High School Musical is that I feel like another reason that like High School Musical 3 maybe wasn't on my radar is that like. I could be wrong, and I'll, I'll definitely I'll try to watch it again. But I feel like two doesn't end strong enough for me to be like, uh, or it's like I'm not like, oh, I have to see three now. I know there's like a couple of good parts in two, but I remember it being like a slightly weaker than one overall. I could be wrong about that. That's um, how I thought two, as a kid. I'm not two sure. Two was an interesting now. one because like I, th- um, yeah, I'd recommend watching two. I'll say the story in two is insane. It's a movie where like the conflict is Troy Troy starts like doing moves where he's like, Oh yeah, this could be good for like the future and his friends are like, No, you should be hanging out with us. What are you doing? This sucks. Like <laughs> And then it ends with him going, I you were right. Like 
it's like plot wise nonsense but i think there's like some great yeah. sequences in it oh yeah it's like but it, it is yeah, like that that it, it, it's not like a movie be- it's not it's not like a series begging for a conclusion i guess it's not like you watch that movie it's... and you're like i can't await the final installment of this, this i need to know where <laughs> the story ends up because it's like by the end of every movie you sort of like get the gist of what they're all gonna do with their futures okay yeah i'll just conclude and say one of the nice things about high school musical 3 is it's kind of a hangout movie in which there's kind of a plot but it's also very much like they don't care yeah. about it that much it's like what's the like the only thing they're like what's zach efron gonna do but Listen, sometimes you want to know what zach efron yeah, gonna do. well what he's gonna do is just um try not to try to pretend he wasn't in a high school musical franchise for years um same thing that olivia rodrigo will probably do one day <laughs> just but yeah I mean, it's interesting because this is the year of Hairspray, which is like him sort of doubling down on that angle of his career. Oh, yeah. Hairspray is 2007. But um, anyways, we've probably talked about enough about High School Musical for this episode, though I'm <laughs> thrilled we did. Um, but next up, let's talk talk about... Um, oh, Enchanted. If it was this derby I was going to go, we can probably just talk about High School Musical some more. But no, Enchanted's <laughs> good. So let's... I... I broke my little rule or my slight, my like light rule where like I try to just watch them like, um, like winter last and then top to bottom on like the Wikipedia page. But I like, I knew that like, I probably like wasn't a fir- like spoilers for later. Like I went into both Harry Potter and Juno with like the expectation of like, Oh, I might not like these movies. Cause like, I just like, it's the fifth Harry Potter movie. I haven't seen them in so long. And I was like, so I'm going to save Enchanted for like the second last one. So I was literally watching it last night. And oh boy, I freaking love this movie. It's really good. Um, I'll say this is good timing because as we recorded this, I just got in my copy of How to Save a Life, the inside story of Grey's Anatomy, which has like original Patrick Dempsey interviews and new intel on why he was killed off on the show. So... That's yeah. interesting. I did not. I didn't know there was maybe details about that. I just thought it was just like, uh, everybody was just done with it thing. It was definitely making some rounds last week, where it's like he was ready to move on, but then people were like, "Yeah, he was kind of terrorizing the set a bit, and it was a bit of an HR issue." They're like, "He's a nice guy. He was just ready to move on, and he's not good at like processing." And he's like, "I want to leave." Like it's so it just just affecting his work and the work environment to Grey's Anatomy, which was famously toxic for like the first decade of that show yeah, yeah but he's but he's really re- but he's really good in this well cast as the guy who's like kind of a gruff cynic but also like a, a sweetheart yeah he's definitely like he's definitely um i don't even know if cynical is like the right word because he tries to like he's trying to like um to like push towards like good things but like within like the bounds of what he thinks is like possible like he's definitely not like hopeless. Like I think early on he like gives him yeah. his daughter. I think like, I mean cynical in that like he's definitely a like, counter very, to everything yeah. that like Amy Adams sort of stands for. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's he's uh like antithetical to like whimsy. I don't know if there's like a really good word for that. But like he's not like he's not like bitter or like or like um like unfun or anything. But he definitely he, he's like he's realistic, I guess. Is like but like 
a little bit of a a yeah. little bit maybe realistic to a fault maybe <laughs> and again i think that works well like one of the nice things about this movie is i think it does a really good job where all the people from the fairy tale world at the very least well ever, except maybe for like susan sarandon but she's like the villain so that's there's different rules there but like Amy Adams and like James Marsden are just really, really sincere and earnest and not winky about anything they're doing. And yeah. then it plays off really well against like just the real world New Yorker. What the hell is this from like Dempsey and everyone else? Yeah. yeah, no, everything is like so, yeah, so genuine and earnest from like all the um, characters from the fairy tale land. Or uh, I can't remember the name, it's just an A. I don't know if I can pronounce it correctly. It's not, um, I'm going to look it up, uh, Andalzia, what a, what a fun movie that, like, I am of the opinion that, like, when you're doing parody, like, there is, like, nothing funny or, like, cool about, like, not trying or, like, not committing to certain things. Like, there's nothing funny about, like, a half-assed, like, parody that's, like, oh, man, like, we're not isn't it like funny that like we're, we're doing this thing but like really like deadpan like going like full force into like something like this is super duper awesome yeah like it, this doesn't go the family guy route or anything yeah like, exactly where it's like very like sh it's not it's like it is like the farthest thing from like a super shallow parody to like the point where like i think it even like it honestly is just like a nice disney movie I'll say the bit where like she summons all the rodents and like pigeons in New York to help like clean the apartment is just so funny. It's like an, on every level. It's like an idea as just Yeah. Just the reaction when like Dempsey comes in and sees all <laughs> these creatures in his apartment. Like it's Yeah, and it's something that I wasn't like um sure about because I was I had trouble I didn't remember it. But like the 2D animation is also, like, really, really good. Like, it is d indistinguishable from, like, a regular Disney movie. Um, like, those scenes are, like, so, like, done so amazingly. Like, I absolutely adore them. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, this is around, like, a time when Disney is kind of trying to move off 2D animation a bit. Though, maybe at this point, Princess and the Frog is in, like, de development as their, their thing. But uh, by this time, we've had, like um chicken little and meet the robinsons comes out the same year but like it shows that hey they their 2d stuff still got it like yeah it's like in an interesting moment for them because i feel like this is sort of like the first step and then being trying to be like hey like the princess thing remember that again like after like as you said like post like bolt and chicken little and like meet the robinsons and trying to like move away from that a little bit which is why i think the movie's sincere like i don't like they it, it probably benefited from the fact that they didn't want to make the whole thing seem dumb or like a stupid enterprise they are trying they are just trying to like create a contrast and tell a funny story and they'll like make fun of it a little but at the same time they're not just like look at how dumb this all is it does have like a genuine like not reverence, but I think a respect for the appeal of that sort of movie and like in what it's doing. Yeah. And I, it's like also a thing like if this movie was made now, I think it is interesting and fun that, that it's like 
they are very much playing around with like a Disney-ish world, but they don't call to anything really like specific. They don't like call anything specific. It's like she doesn't live in like she doesn't like talk to Cinderella or whatever or like exists within any of those other like forms of IP. It's just like its own thing that recalls all that. She stuff. does leave like a shoe when she flees during the final battle, but um. But even so, like, I see what you're saying. It's not like, oh, Ralph breaks the internet where all the princesses are hanging out or whatever. Like, it's... Yeah. It is just trying to do kind of a Roger Rabbit type. Okay, well, here's, like, a similar, like, Disney princess type classical character who's kind of has similar personality traits to these ones, but is her own thing and kind of has her own world. Well, listen, uh, James Martin has been in New York. A great setup for his future career best work on 30 Rock. Hey, we got another another oh, 30 yeah. Rock rap after after last year. Oh, yeah. Listen, 30 Rock is the thing I have watched the most. It is the thing I watch <laughs> all the time. Kenny has showed me like a couple episodes and I a couple episodes and I yeah. think I've adored every single one. It's a super funny show. I- I don't know if I've shown you any of the Marsden ones, except wait, did I show you the did I show you the the episode where Leap Day is like a huge holiday? Oh, uh, I like, think I think so. he's in that one. I'm trying to remember. Leap Day, Leap Day Williams is truly one of the better, yeah. just like conceits of just like, and this is gonna, this is like how how much I love Thirty Rock of just like yeah, I very much enjoy late season Thirty Rock that I know some people have issues with, but I uh, I just. I sort of love the whole thing start to finish. So when he shows up later in the show and becomes a big part of it, it's it, I enjoy his performance very much in that. And he, and he, it's like obviously not the exact same thing he's doing here because he, here he's like fully just like farcical, but it is a similar thing in that he's just like a sort of sweet, nice guy in New York. He's almost more of the Amy Adams character in Thirty Rock. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and. It's interesting that this is like the second film we covered, like because he's also in the Notebook where he plays kind of the runner-up. But at least in this, at least in this one, he actually gets to wind up with someone. He winds up with yeah, Idina, yeah, Idina Menzel, who, despite being a big Broadway person, does not sing in this one. Yeah, which I'm oh, sure man. is funny yeah, now that everyone knows um... her as Elsa. But <laughs> yeah, no, this movie has like. Ah, it's just like it's just really whimsical and nice, and um, I think like definitely like the peak for this movie is the is like the song in Central Park. Um, it's just it's like it's one part like really really nice, and it's also like super funny, like seeing Patrick Dempsey's like reaction to everybody starts singing. It's so funny because they all start singing. And he's like he's like, is this like a popular song? Like I've never heard this before. Yeah, because. They do, for the most part with the songs, they keep it where the singing is limited to, like, the characters who come from that world, with the exception of the big Central Park number. Um, yeah. Where, which is just everyone kind of Yeah, it's, it on, starts but... with, um, I had to look it up just because I adored it so much. Um, uh, I think it's uh, Marlon uh, Saunders. And he like, he, like, starts, like, picking up kind of where she left off when she's, like, cut off. And, like, it's just, there's so much, like, there's such a good fusion of, like, all these different, like, musical, like, uh, instruments in this one song. And it's just, oh, it's an absolute height of the movie for me, 100%. 
And it's also just classic Menken walking in being like, yeah, I can still write great songs and just doing yeah. it. Yeah, whenever, like, whenever all I'm making is, like, really just showing off and, like, uh, I'm excited. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen, like, Gallivant, but there is some, like, great Mencken stuff in there. Like, it's... I mean, I'm not, but uh, I've heard that. I, I mean, I like the song in Ralph Breaks the Internet is good. That he oh, yeah, the oh, Slaughter yeah. Play I like song. that one, too. Yeah, that's... Well, no Star Spangled Ma- Man from Captain America the First Avenger. Oh right, yeah, he, yeah, but yeah, I mean, he could definitely a good fit. It's I think he's I think he's doing the songs for like this upcoming sequel that's supposed to be out next year on Disney Plus. Like the yeah, this sequel's a weird thing. Yeah, it's I'm a bit worried for it because like Adam Shankman has direct he's directed two musicals. One of them I think is almost a masterpiece, and the other one is Rock of Ages, which is um weird bad movie but weird in like compelling ways so could he do this again and most of his non like musical work is just straight up bad but who knows yeah. <laughs> i mean it's tr- it's truly like he's made one good movie and it's hairspray and it's just like sure he's also a producer on the step up movies which is funny oh hey yeah, yeah. But there's also, but you also hear so like in Disenchanted, like men, they're gonna give Menzel songs in it, cause of course. But apparently Patrick Dempsey is going to sing, which famously Grey's Anatomy does like a musical episode in its seventh season, and he just refuses to participate. He's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. So his character's around, but like it's just for the non-musical scenes, like, and they and they let like Kevin McKidd or whoever just do the bulk of the male singing. So I'm very interested to see, hear his voice. Um, yeah, I've been shooting. I, I mean, I imagine he'd be pretty. Yeah. Good yeah. I mean, just like I, I imagine he he can just pull off whatever they pull off, and they'll just auto tune fix whatever they need to do. But uh, yeah. But but hopefully they still have like the tone down. Obviously, it's called <laughs> Disenchanted. So if it's but we'll see. Also. This is also an interesting movie for me to watch, like, similar close to a couple weeks ago, um, Amazon released their Cinderella, directed by Kay Cannon, who did, like, blockers, and I think it's really good. Um, Some people think it's an atrocity. (laughs) The Cinderella movie or blockers? Cinderella. The Cinderella movie. No, blockers, like, I know (laughs) not everyone's a fan of that one, but I don't think anyone thinks it's an atrocity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But... But the Cinderella movie is interesting in that it is definitely trying to do, like, the Cinderella story. Idina Menzel's also in that one playing the stepmother, which is funny because her last name in Enchanted, like, Tremaine, is a reference to the stepmother in Cinderella, who is, like, Lady Tremaine. So it's really funny that they just are like, yeah, you can be the stepmother in this one. But it is similar in trying to do kind of a modern take on the fairy, fairy tale, but it's but it's more like... It's a bit more in your face about it. It's like, oh, she wants to have a business. Like, this is more important to her than this. And while, again, I think this it's a good movie, I think what Enchanted Smart about is, like, Gizelle, Amy Adams, like, she's, yeah, she's, like, she's a romantic, but she's also, like, is, like, for very independent. Like, she doesn't feel like a two-dimensional, like, flat character. Like, 
she they do kind of make her like a strong character without compromising her like princessness. Yeah, for sure. She's both like cute, but also like they the movie never treats her as like less than or dumb for that. She's just like a little oblivious, and then she picks on st- she picks up on stuff pretty quick, and then like she sort of like rounds out to being like a good normal person by the end and it's like the 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 movie has a lot of respect for her where it's like if i think if you just watch a trailer for enchanted you would be just be like oh so she's just a ditz and she's gonna get fixed or whatever but i think the movie does a better job of just than that than like most a rom-com would of like giving that character agency which is like a weird word that i try not to use when describing movies but uh, yeah and like another thing i think this movie does really well is that i feel like it gives like it gives like um a lot of like uh a lot of care towards like it's more like sideish characters like the james marsden like prince edward like he again is like a little more like oblivious to like this new world but like he's not like he doesn't like become like antagonistic or like or like stupid or thoughtless like he he's just kind of he like has his own way of like viewing things that's like i don't know what's super changed by the end but like he's definitely like he's not like a a bad guy he's like just kind of like who he is yeah yes he, he he's a little self-obsessed but like he's like a good person like you're yeah you're, he, he like you're happy when he lines up with idina like, menzel like, who again like, there's like a worse version of the Sorry, I think it was just a little oh, yeah. delay. He steps so, aside. Yeah. yeah, like he like steps aside because he knows that like he can't give her true love's kiss, and he he has like he has almost no issue doing it because like he's he he's like a he um he's like very truly like noble like a knight, um like he's uh he's like maybe he's like a little bit narcissistic, but like at the end of the day, he's not going to let that like confront doing he's not gonna let his narcissism get in the way of like doing good deeds which is i feel like something that like usually a character of this sort of trope sort of doesn't let that happen usually at some point their narcissism will overtake their uh their good-heartedness yeah also like i think idina menzel's like really good in a role that like i think in a lesser version would just be kind of like the antagonistic or like the obstacle and here like you get her like she wants robert to like just try a little more more but then and you know it's like it's nice that she winds up with like edward in the end and she just runs off to like the fairy tale land with him and just keeps running her business or whatever because they get reception there which is also a good joke of like bringing that real world stuff into the fairy tale land like yeah (laughs) yeah yeah that's a pretty good bit I, i do feel like she has played sort of high-strung New York woman a lot, I'll say. And I feel like, yeah. I don't know. It's just a thing I think about where I'm just like, I'm sure, like, I like I, I guess I've never seen her on stage, really, because that's like, I don't live in New York and I can't watch Broadway plays, but I assume she's played a breath of characters there. She's obviously, like, an extremely talented person. But it, she just, she does sort of get pigeonholed as that. It, as that sometimes but this might just be coming from somebody who's seen uncut gems like eight yeah. times she's she's interesting in cinderella as like the stepmother who's who's like h- harsh but also like you kind of get a sense where it's like she's like i had she's like i had dreams and then they like cost me like my 
first marriage and that's just not that for like women to succeed like they give her like scenes where you're like okay there's some like depth to her and you kind of understand why she's doing the wicked stepmother thing like what yeah the kiss so i wasn't sure if the kiss in this was the actual one where she's technically unconscious but we can assume it's consensual because she responds to it um or the one afterwards on, like, the tower. I, I sent Emilio the tower one, because I think that's kind of a better one. But, like, it's... Yeah, I'm good with that one being the the one uh, that we sort of put up on the chopping block. Because it, it is a wonderful little kiss, I would say. Yeah, it's also in the yeah. ring. Um, but... <laughs> no, that kiss is, like, it's, it's sort of... Um... It's very, I guess it's a little more similar to the, um, to the step up two kiss and that it's sort of after everything has been sort of done and done away with. But I also feel like it's like a really good, it's much closer to like the, um, the turning point of the two like main characters relationship than I feel like the step up two one would be. Yeah. And it's also like a nice culmination to that moment. I guess this is how I would describe it. I think in step up, the thing is that dancing is already this sort of just this sort of like physical expression of emotion and just like this like sort of sensual thing that sort of kissing almost feels like less sexy than what they were doing True. before so it almost feels like like it like go go down le- like them going down a level and then just like chilling out and kissing whereas like what they're doing and enchanted is is more like different yeah relationship stuff Plus and like different like, culmination yeah. to what the story is so it's like them ki- them kissing is just like yeah a natural com- culmination of their chemistry and yeah plus you get that nice little callback line of like oh is this something you do often falling you know uh, it's only when you're around to catch me and it's just like it's just like it's just sweet it's just very very nice comes after a big dragon fight and a and a it's it's positively uh lovely i am i'm so glad that this this list forced me to watch another movie that i i loved uh as like a child a preteen i don't know how the time shakes out for that um that i still insanely adore today yeah and i'll say another good thing about the kiss is it has kind of the instrumental thing of the song of their song uh, i've been dreaming of like a true love's kiss which is very catchy and has been in my like head like since that i've been dreaming of a true love's kiss which is that good like classic disney construction of it's like yeah it's like it's like good and sweeping i I guess if like if i had I mean, this isn't really a reservation. This is just what the movie is stylistically. It's like their kiss is just like cute. It's just like one of those things where a thing that I look at a lot when I look at kissing in a movie or just like kissing in general to just like, as just like differences in approach is just like how close is people, how close people's face are to each other, like diagonally i guess is what it makes sense like if you put like a piece of paper between the the two of people like would it just be their lips touching or would you hit the people's faces i guess and like this one is for sure just like almost like a peck of just like these are just like two people two cute people giving a cute kiss because it's like a disney movie which is like what it's doing stylistically it's just like it is a disney movie so it is that is what it's doing so i'll give it i'll give them like points for that even though when I think of just like a very nice kiss in a movie that is maybe not what I go to instantly. 
And also, what you were talking about, Wolvie, it reminded me that, like, the step up to Kiss, it, like, weirdly ends on, like, this, like, like, strings and just, like, this big, like, sweeping score piece of music, which is just weird after you've been listening to, like, eight, like, an entire movie full of, like, hip-hop and, like, fun, like, weird beats and, like, late 2000s, like, EDM to just like end the movie on that sort of a note like I guess like I get what they were trying to do like emotionally but I think it's like sort of discordant where it's like enchanted it's like perfectly encordant I guess I don't know what the opposite of discordant is but it's just like everything like comes together and like works to a point and like works together to like make that moment land Hmm, what is the opposite of discordant? It might just be cordant, but I like incordant. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, incordant? Yeah. I'll figure it out. We can move on to the next movie. All right, now. next up is Disturbia, which, yeah. Yeah, I, I, from looking at the poster, I was, like, expecting, like, a, um, like a don't breathe type movie or, like, a little bit more of a thriller but like what i ended up getting was just like it's just even stevens like it's not it's so much of the movie is just like kind of slapstick nonsense and then like kind of like really intense moments near the end i think halfway through the movie um i made a note where i'm right essentially i guess spoilers for disturbia um i made like a note that said okay if the big twist of this movie is that, like, the creepy next-door neighbor is actually a normal dude and it's all a misunderstanding, this movie goes up, like, 50 million points because that's hilarious. Unfortunately, it's, like, almost the exact opposite of that and it feels really lame. So you would have wanted it to be like that Simpsons episode where Bart breaks his leg and thinks Flanders has killed his <laughs> wife? Just... Yeah, that... I think that would be so much more interesting. I th- and then maybe maybe his neighbor could become like his father figure. This movie could be about like this sort of like weird mistrust he could have of his neighbor and like maybe instead of a month maybe it would be like 6 months he has to stay on house arrest and like his mental state is deteriorating so much that he's like he he's seeing ghosts when they're not there. And then, like, the end of the movie could just be, like, this lovely scene where, like, him and the neighbor are just, like, talking. And, like, maybe he gets, like, a fatherly bond with him because of, like, the father he loses at the beginning of the movie. And that would be just, like, this movie has the potential to be so much more interesting than it could be. Yeah. And it feels like every everything that's cool about it works against it. Like, I don't know. It's just, like, ah, I, I don't know how to how to put into words that like because i i want to stress this super hard they leave like the the possibility that he could just this could all be a misunderstanding like they leave that like distinction like right up until the last second like if you rewatch the movie like they give the neighbor like plausible deniability at every single turn like at most he acts like a bit creepy but, like, you can absolutely, like, justify how he's acting with, like, the, the reason of, like, these kids are, like, spying on him and invading his privacy. Like, of course he's going to be really upset about this. Yeah, I think, that, I think you're right. That would be, like, maybe a, be- a better movie, though. I think it's less marketable than, like, a big thriller. Um, 
You, but the problem is you could still totally have that. You could just have him being super wrong about it. I'll say, I was very disappointed to remember that the Rihanna song Disturbia come, came out a year after this movie. Because it would have been, I'll say this film would have been a lot better <laughs> if it goes from like the ending to... Like... Which, because the story of the song, yeah. at, at many points of this movie, I'm like, I would rather just be listening to this song. Yeah, this movie was definitely, like, the big, like, hump of this list, yeah. where I was, like, the least, like, engaged. Um, I've never seen Rear like, Window, but I'm like, I'd rather be watching Rear Window for the first time. A movie where I think I've guessed much of the plot just from, like, a Moonlight <laughs> I mean, not to reveal my sort of lack of homework doing but i have not seen disturbia but i have seen rear window rear window's really great people should watch rear window yeah people should even watch <laughs> body double which is like brian de palma's rear window which is also like oh a i have movie. seen body double. i think it, it yeah it's just like it's obviously a very potent premise and i can see sort of see like the angle of just like yeah we're gonna just make teen a rear window to just like appeal just like it's just like an easy premise to nail down and you can just like put it in anything so let's just make it with teens and like Shia LaBeouf was sort of a star at the time so we're just gonna craft a thriller around him but it's as like it is interesting what you said that it's just like a movie that is like maybe too much trying to like appeal to the teens and have that sort of like comedy and tone and to then just like have to make a harsh shift towards being a genuinely scary thriller yeah and like another thing that bugs me so much is that like correct me if i'm wrong kenny but like the fact that he's under house arrest i don't think there's ever a scene where that's like used to like create like a great amount of tension or like the neighbor like never messes with him under the complete assumption that, like, yeah, he can't, like, leave this premises. Like, it's used for, like, slapstick, but it's never oh, yeah, used like for, that. like, the thriller aspect. The fact that he's under house arrest and, like, can't go, like... Or, I, I, I like that he sets up the little perimeter. I think that's, like, really neat. And that's, like, a neat little character trait that's, like, really nice, like, subtle character... Or, like, quasi-subtle characterization that, like, yeah, he's pretty crafty, you know? I really like that a lot. And I wish more of the movie was like that. Yeah, the only tense sequence where he's, like, trying, where, like, his house arrest is going factors into, like, anything, I, I mean, beyond, well, beyond the fact that, like, doesn't, doesn't it summon the police in the, it alerts the police when he's, like, entering the home at, home at the end yeah. or whatever, but, like, the mo- but the scene where, like, it's actually used is, like, when neighbor kids are pranking him and he's chasing them home, yeah like the the whole setup near the beginning of the movie where like it's like it'll like once it turns green it's good like that could have been used to be so tense where like this movie had had two roads it could have gone down that could have been really interesting it could have been this like really like um i don't know have any of you seen um insomnia by christopher nolan or insom insomniac yeah insomnia Insomnia. yes i love that yeah Would, it would have been awesome if either this movie was kind of like that, where, like, let's say, like, four months into, like, his six-month, like, um, isolation, he's starting to go a little crazy, and it turns out he's just kind of seeing things. Um, like, maybe he doesn't like the neighbor because, like, his mom's going out with him. 
Or you could go like the opposite route. But I think to go like the more thriller route, you need to like establish that the neighbor is actually a bad guy or like actually really messed up like halfway through the movie minimum. Because like it's really boring um, if like there's so much plausible deniability where like I don't I don't know how much of the threat the neighbor is like it could just be that he's all imagining it, which means that like the thriller aspect of this gets like so drained of any tension to like right at the end. Yeah. And like David Morris, who plays a neighbor, like I like him. He's good, but also you, you need someone either like more menacing or less, or like even more unassuming. Like he kind of is just splitting the difference where you're like, Oh, something's off about this guy. Yeah. And like, Maybe it'd be more interesting if it, yeah. it was just like the most normal person in the world and there was enough, no weird vibes at all beyond Shia LaBeouf just going, no, no, he's like crazy. He's evil. Like it's Yeah, because I feel like if you were to like have the reveal halfway through, you could have so many like nice moments or like thrilling moments where like nobody believes him. Like, everyone, nobody assumes anything of the neighbor, and the neighbor could do, like, little messed up things, but, like, he's not within the perimeter, so, like, there's nothing Shia could do about it. Or, like, he maybe he could play, like, little mind games with him by, like, maybe taking something valuable, valuable of him and, like, putting it just far enough outside of his boundary that, like, if he sprinted both ways, he could get it. Like, there could just be, there could be so many more interesting things this movie does, but it just, it's... It's more frustrating than, like, a bad movie that had no chance. No, I was going to say, it's, like, a, a, pro- a thing I have problems with that are, like, this is maybe a weird comparison, but a thing I have problems with, like, in the same way that you're describing, it's, like, I don't know if either of you watched much of Sherlock, the BBC Sherlock starring Benedict Cumberbatch. I've seen one episode, I think. For a... I've, I've not seen any, but, but yeah, no, feel free to, feel free to go. Okay, so at the end of the second season, there is like the well, it's like there is a scene where Sherlock dies. Sherlock jumps out of, out of a thing and he is presumed dead. And then obviously there's two more seasons, so Sherlock is not dead. And then, but the first episode after that is like, and they strike this weird balance of like it has a structure of a bunch of people like sort of guessing how he managed to avoid death and by the end of the and by the end of the episode the tact it takes is is just being is like well whoever who is gonna who knows how he survived he's just like a trickster and he made it happen and that is just like the most frustrating possible tact of to like take with that sort of thing because it's just like you spent you you either should just like explain what happened and then leave people with that or you should just like fully go like the route of just like well nobody can explain what happened it's just a mystery and you're never gonna solve it but instead it takes like the frustrating tact of just being like well this is what maybe could have happened and it's just like it, it is taking a weird balance of just like leaving you with like some amount of uncertainty, but not enough that is, like, interesting or satisfying, which it sounds like this movie is doing, where it's just, like, it either should have just explained that it was a bad guy or just, like, always have left you with the uncertainty of, like, what was happening. But instead, it just, like, takes the middle road of just being, like, 
we're gonna string you along for most of it and then at the end we're gonna be like but it was happening yeah like the villain is not menacing enough and the twist isn't powerful enough like it it, it definitely and it tried to like it tried to like have both because it tried to have like the bad guy in this movie like skirting the line being like the creepiest possible but without fully like committing to it it's like yeah absolutely yeah and also it's sort of i guess i i don't know maybe wolvie maybe you saw this but this is not a movie i've seen but the movie you're sort of describing is like woman in the window that came out this year where it seems to be more of of like a a person is stuck and is going crazy thriller yeah i yeah i mean woman in the window does wind up having like there is like something there is something going on but yeah i would have liked this movie more if it was like woman in the window (laughs) A good movie, despite what people might hear otherwise. Um, just oh, and Amy Adams in Woman in the Window too. So can add that to our web of best kiss connections. Um, yeah, dude. Listen, there's a connection between all of these. Yeah, if you think about it. Yeah, even Ben and I are connected because we met the kid who plays young Heath Ledger for like a scene at Brokeback Mountain once and hung out with him at a party. So it's a whole web we're weaving here. Um. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we would just want to jump into kiss talk. Well, oh yeah, yeah. Jump into the kiss. The romance is not that interesting in this. It's very. Yeah. Um. I will say though, the kiss is pretty good. Um. I think all things set aside, I think the kiss is still pretty nice. Honestly. Yeah, I think just like purely as a kiss, taking the context of the movie around it, it might be the best on this list. Maybe it's pretty good. Also, like. Another thing to this movie's credit, it has the best, like, kiss tease early on. Like, I think I talked about how Step Up 2 also had one, but, like, this one, oh, the kiss tease is so good. Like, oh, it ha- it's like, <laughs> in the brief moments of this movie where, like, I wasn't, like, kind of bored or, like, like kind of like, oh, I really hope that the neighbor's just a normal guy. <laughs> like, that is, like, a really, really cool scene or, like, really cool exchange. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it is just like fun, sexy teen stuff. Obviously, that they 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 they're just playing with, and it's like fun to see in a movie. Yeah, and I'll say yeah, Shia both like um obviously uh it's become an interesting problematic figure in recent years, but like it was kind of nice getting that reminder of oh yeah, like this time when he was kind of like viable as like sort of the like romantic lead of like a uh, you know kind of just little teen thriller like this where you're like oh hey yeah also like it's crazy because like i knew i had seen this movie before because i only remembered like i remember one scene and it's when like the kids are like watching like the adult channel and like he like calls to like get the mom to like tattle on them or like to get the mom to walk in on them watching that's the ending of the movie that's almost the last scene yeah that's because i i remember that so purely like that that is such a snapshot memory i have i remember nothing else about this movie other than that yeah that's also like a good bit also just funny that they're like well we have to have payoff where he gets revenge on the kids now that he can walk but like he doesn't even go over to their house he just calls their mom on them like it's yeah also like i guess um possibly the last thing i have to say about disturbia it's always like the the worst movies in the year that we have like the most or at least i have or we have like the most to say about um do you think that like 
the beginning scene where like, we like watch his dad die is like at all necessary. Oh, I was not. This was my last one in the movie. It's not like it's. It's super not like it. It sort of. You could have just told us that his dad died, and that would have done everything for it. I mean, you could have even. You could even. You could have even just started the movie with him on house arrest, like. None of the beginning of this movie is necessary for, like, almost anything. Maybe, like, the small antagonism he has with, like, the officer. But, like, that also, like, sucks. And it's my least favorite part of the movie. I don't... I can't really quantify why. But there's just something so, like... I don't want to even say boring. But just, like, so, like... Unfulfilling. And there's no payoff to it. About his, like, rivalry with with the cop. Who's also, like, the brother of the teacher that he punched. Oh, like, yeah, Emilio, you haven't seen it, but the beginning of the movie is you watch his dad die in an accident, and then the next scene is him at school, and this teacher is like antagonizing him, and then like basic basically is like your father would be so disappointed, and then he punches the teacher in the face, and I guess it makes you sympathetic for Shia LaBeouf because you watch his dad die, so like when his teacher brings it up, you're like, well, that's obviously too far, but. Yeah, but his teacher also, like, comes up nowhere else in the movie, and all of that is sort of shifted onto the teacher's brother. Like, where that antagonism might exist. Yeah. It's the teacher's brother. Maybe if it was, like, the school cop, or maybe this cop could have had, like, the antagonism with it. It just seems so weird. It seems so, like, it's, like, three parts removed from, like, an actual interesting, like, um, like character, uh, like, conflict relationship. Yeah. Also, Carrie Ann Moss from, like, the Matrix films is his mother, and Viola Davis, who's just, like, a great actress, is, like, his parole lawyer-type character, and, like, they're just wasted in this. Like, his... um, Well, his mother gets a bit of stuff towards the end, but, like, for the most part, you're like, why did Carrie Ann Moss agree to do this? Like, it's... Yeah, Carrie Ann Moss, it's just, like... She seems to just, like, have fallen into, like, a weird career thing after The Matrix. It's not like she does a lot after it. And Viola Davis is just like, listen, I'm, like, one of the biggest Viola Davis fans. I just truly love her. And it's, but she, there's a lot of, like, this sort of role of hers, especially early on, where it's, it's just like, yeah, she has presence, so we're going to cast her in some small role. But it's like, we're not going to give them really a lot to do. Yeah, but I have... Not much else to say about it. Yeah. It was just kind of boring. Yeah. And like. Well, with that, I think we can move on to Juno, um, which was a movie where for the first 10 minutes, I was like, oh no, was this awful? Before it like settled down and became great. <laughs> yeah, I had the exact same experience because like I was going into Juno going like, this movie seems like it's going to kind of suck and have like a really bad tone issue where like i'm sure it thinks it's going to be really fun but it's going to not be and for the first 10 minutes that's so true um a character says honest to blog like honest to god yeah that sucks that's like the worst thing ever um but then the movie like yeah sort of meddles out and just becomes like like a pretty like really cute and like dramatic um, sort of love story slash like surrogate mom story like it's just super duper compelling and nice yeah Ju- 
Juno. Oh, so you've never seen Juno before. <laughs> I had never seen it before. I've seen Disaster Movie, which has the Juno character and the Enchanted characters as, like, the main characters. Yes, this came up. <laughs> this came up last week for some reason. But um... <laughs> Wait, last week? I think... Like, we, oh, we had a... Week... Oh, right, because we were talking about the spoofs from that year. Which reminds me, I did watch, um... Yeah, that, yeah exactly. That, oh, whatever... That one was, that was like a thing. Basketball? No, no, not basketball. The bad one. The like 300, like... Oh, Meet the Spartans. Meet the Spartans. No. That one is pro... Wait. Hold on. That I... is the 300 one. You have 300 United. Three... You're thinking of 300 Yeah, 300 United, right. I was... Or United 300. <laughs> I also watched that. It was awesome. It was super funny. <laughs> I was like, I should not... I should have waited till September 12th to watch this spoof of united 93 and 300 um but oh yeah i think it was much after the day for me yeah but yeah that's unrelated um juno like the thing that definitely has persevered about juno i think it was that kind of dialogue and for the most part it is just like the first 10 minutes where diablo where diablo cody's just throwing in all this like weird stuff and rain wilson says home slice or whatever it's awful it's yeah it's like it's the one part of the movie that like it didn't grow on me every time it happened it sucked me out but this movie is amazing despite of that like this movie's quality is like it's like the, the that dialogue is like is like a the giant uh the giant dragon and like the movie's quality is like a knight with a sword, like it is fighting back against it, and it, it wins out in the end. Yeah, I'll I'll say the dialogue rose rose on me there. Also, this is the first of a couple films we're, we'll cover where J.K. Simmons plays the supportive but like kind of quirky dad of like a protagonist, and he's just really delightful in both this and I Love You, Man. So. Oh, yeah, no, he does a great, great job in this movie. I like how... I really like movies that have, like, very, um, like, non-tropey versions of characters you'd think be super tropey. Like, you think it would be, like, the the stern, like, no, no funny business dad. But, like, he's very, like, he's very understanding and he's very supportive of, like, like a lot of stuff and, like, firm when he needs to be. Because, like, he comes from, like, a pretty... He's like currently living like a, he's like divorced and like has like a new a new wife. So like his life like isn't this like shining beacon of like traditionalism, you know? Yeah, it's just like a guy trying to do his best, and like I think the relationship between like Juno and like him, and then Allison Janey's like stepmom, it just feels like really on, especially how like. She's, like, giving her a very hard time at first, and then kind of just comes around on her by the end. Like, it's like, oh, no, like, she really does just... Yeah. She's not, like, some villainous stepmother. She really does just want to, like, support me here. Like, Exactly. I think, um, yeah, Amy Adams was correct and enchanted that the stereotypes about stepmothers are not true. She She's met, pl- like, in, uh, a great swath of great ones. Um, yeah, no, and, like, I think that, like, their relationship, I think, like, progresses so nice and naturally and, like, subtly. There isn't, like, a big scene where they turn out to, like, love each other that, like, it's sort of slow-boiling to, like... I think, like, the point for me that I, like, I took note of and, like, it was also, like, I think very, like, subtle was, like, 
when they're in the hospital and I think it's like, can you get my kid a sedative or something? And like her just saying that and like affirming that was just like, so I don't know. It was just really nice. And I liked that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, never think about Juno and obviously we'll talk about the kiss in a bit, but Michael Sarah is, was not in it as much as like, I remember it being back in the day. Like he, he's like prominent in the advertising, but really, Jason Bateman is the Arrested Development alum who's getting, like, a lot more to do here, but. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. No, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah. Also, like, Michael Sarah, the outfit he's in for most of the movie with the headband is never stops being funny. Like, it's just. Yeah, it's it's really, really goofy. I like it. Yeah, um, but Jason Bateman, like, a... I forgot how good he is in this, playing, like, a really specific type of, like, shitty grown-up. Where, like, he's not... He's he's not, like, a terrible person, even though, like, you can tell, like, maybe his connection with Juno gets, like, a little weird in places. But he's just someone who does not want to, like, be a dad or take any kind of responsibility beyond, like, what's going to make him happy in the moment. And I think Bateman's really good, yeah. good at that. Like, Yeah, no, it, it's, like... I like I really like this movie that like it really it's really like complex and I feel like it's it never I feel like at no point is the fi- is the movie like pointing a finger at somebody and going they're the bad guy like obviously like it's so like there's so many like I feel like it's one of the movie that I feel like it juggles a lot and it totally like sticks the landing on pretty much everything I think like the relationship between the stepmom and Juno like um, Juno, and I'm trying to think what's Michael Sarah's character's name. Um, Bleaker, or that, that's just what they call him. Polly? I don't. Yeah, Polly okay, Bleaker, yeah, but she just calls him Bleaker. I, like it's... Okay, good, because like I read that on the Wikipedia page, and I was like, they never what? His name's not Polly. <laughs> I've never heard that before. And like, and then also like the relationship between like um, between uh, Jason Bateman and Jan- Jennifer Garner. Like, yeah, the relationship between, um, like, Elliot, Elliot Page's character and J.K. Simmons, like, it juggles so much, and it all is, like, done really, really well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, of, of like, the... So, this is the third third movie with Jennifer Garner, and we've covered after Daredevil and Elektra. Uh, this is definitely better than both of those, and... Um, she's in at least two more movies we're gonna talk about later on, and... Like, this might be the one good movie Jennifer Garner is in that gets, like, a Best Kiss nomination. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Kiss. I'm assuming it's the Kiss right at the end? Is that the Kiss that's up for the chopping block? Yeah, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, like, after, like, she... Uh, after Juno realizes she loves Michael Sarah's character, and they have that conversation. Yeah, I would say it's probably that one. Um, it's sweet. Like, yeah. uh, Emilio, you you you've seen Juno, right? Uh, I've seen like most of it. I I've never like sat down and watched Juno. It's just a movie that I've like seen a lot of parts on like cable and just like I have a cultural understanding of Juno. Yeah, which is like. I think that's super oh that's super interesting because like this is just my my personal opinion it isn't uh it isn't law um 
But, like, I feel like the parts that are the most iconic about this movie are, like, the cringiest and, like, my least favorite part. Like, the sort of, like, parentheses quirky dialogue or quote quotes quirky dialogue the burger phone like all of this like the sure like or uh juno like smoking like the pipe like all that stuff just kind of like it just i don't know it just takes me out personally i think it's interesting because that must do it for somebody you know i think a few weeks ago we were talking about like the male power fantasy and like sin city and like oh man that does it for me sometimes and, like, I'm sure that the way that um, Elliot Page uh, performs this does it for somebody. And, like, I'm sure those jokes, you know, split somebody's sides. But it's just, it, they don't split mine, you know. And I think that's totally fine. And I think that's really interesting. And I wish there was, like, a way to study and dissect that. Yeah, I mean, if, like, if I were... My assumption is just, like, it was a thing that stuck out, which made people notice it, which is, like, sort of the value. It's, like, sort of what happens with the this sort of movie and, like, this sort of, like, writer-forward thing. Like, not to say that, like, uh, not to say that uh, Jason Reitman isn't, like, a big part of this movie and, like, sort of dines out on this movie, but it's, like, People know it as a Diablo Cody movie. And I think, like, when you're a writer and are trying to get noticed and I'm try- and are trying to make very specific movies about these very specific subjects, I think there is, like, a tendency to try and make something very noticeable and very out there and very, like, specific. Because it's, like, there are probably, like, 20 scripts about, like, a young woman getting pregnant, but like Juno had like such a specific thing and specific tone that that is probably what made it stand out to like somebody reading it in order to have it get made. And it's like, and like, uh, yeah, I think there's like an, also like a super important distinction here is that like Juno is like a really good movie with things that like, I don't personally like, but, like, if I were to, like, back up and try and, like, justify why those things are, like, fundamentally bad for the story, I couldn't do it. Like, Disturbia is, like, a boring movie, and there are elements that I could dissect and, like, borderline objectively prove are, like, really, like, stupid and bad. Like, this is purely, like, a personal preference that, like, is definitely, like, it's my interest in it almost outweighs, like, my my lack of engagement with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I get that. Mm-hmm. I can get that, and I'll I'll say like it's as far as scripts go. Yeah, it's funny because I always forget. I'm like, oh yeah, Diablo Diablo Cody just wrote wrote this. Like I always forget about Jason Reitman directed. But I'll say as far as Cody scripts go, like it's not as strong as like her Jennifer's Body script, which is maybe her like masterpiece. But it's it's solid. But I do think like Elliot Page is like his performance in this is just really like good. Like. I'll say there is dialogue that I think not even he can, like, make work. But, like, when he's just portraying, like, the vulnerabilities of Juno. And she's she she's a really good character where, like, she's good at seeming, like, kind of worldly. But she's also naive in very specific ways that, like, she maybe is 
like she has blind spots she's not aware of, which is maybe why she's like surprised when Jason Bateman suddenly like, yeah, I'm leaving my wife. I wasn't ready for this. Like, cause there's all these little red flags that she just doesn't have the experience to like see. And I think Paige is really good at kind of getting that across in his performance. Um, yeah. I think it's like, again, not from a person who hasn't like seen the full movie and sat down with it, even like the bits and pieces I've seen. I think it is like, an astute movie about, and I think that that is like what the dialogue sort of feeds into of just like, it's an astute movie about how teens and how like young people in some ways are very competent and intelligent and like know what they feel and what's around them, but they just are going to have blind spots and they will run into walls of just like, things that are slightly outside of their understanding and they have to come and it's like a situation like this sort of forces them to have to exist outside of their own under their own like what they think is a flawless understand flawless objective understanding of the world and have to like reckon with like small human problems and issues that people have in that way yeah i i'd agree with that there um Oh yeah, another when going to aspects. Uh, I don't think we're um, the indie soundtrack got really repetitive for me really quickly. Like I, I know some people like it, and you know there's songs that are in there like, uh, but eventually it's like we get it. It's like you know it's a, they're strumming on the guitar. It's like I, eventually I'm like yeah yeah okay I, I get the vibe here. Like it's um. yeah, it's definitely like it's something that it's really tough because like. My big problem is that, like, you can definitely have a lot of variety even in that kind of music. Um, even in, like, things kind of like that, that sort of sound like that. Like, one of my favorite artists is um, Haley Hendrix. Um, and, like, she does, like, a pretty similar... I didn't want to say similar. Um, but she sort of uh, has, like, a very similar sort of tone with, like, her music that it's like it's not off key but like the rhythms are a bit like weird and feel a little bit more like talking than they do singing but even those have like have like sweeping moments and like epic moments that i feel like this one sort of just sort of has like one sort of atonal like very casual feeling that i feel like yeah can be a bit to its detriment Yeah, it's but yeah, it's something against the genre, which again I think there can be like a lot of variety in it, but it's like many of the song choices here are just are kind of samey. Yeah, it could have used like they all felt like yeah, they all felt very, very similar. There definitely could have been variety just like in the in there a hundred percent. Yeah. Then it's also interesting seeing this film because uh, there's like obviously a scene early on where Juno goes to get like an abortion and then freaks out at the clinic. Like she she has an awkward encounter with like her really religious classmate who's outside, and then like she and that kind of throws her off a bit, and then she just kind of runs runs out. And it it has become a thing there where I think Diablo Cody had said said recent recently where she kind of regrets writing the film because. People have, I think, falsely perceived it a bit as being anti-choice, but this is interesting now because in the past couple of years, I've there not only are there like finally starting to get more films about like 
female like protagonist who like she used to get ab abortions but like two two of them have been like com like comedies even sort of s similar in spirit uh, spirit like if not tone tone to like juno where it is interesting just seeing where we were at where like it was radical at the time for you know, this just to be like a teen pregnancy movie where like she picked a picks a adoption or whatever but yeah even then the scene oh like, is there a modern version of Juno that you where I, I guess there is, but now but there is sort of more of a range of films of for about female characters who choose not to go through with their pregnancies. Um, yeah. And to sort of, sort of uh, add on to, like, the tail end of that, I was, like, worried, I think, like, half, or, like, near the end of this movie that, like, I don't know why, but I feel like if I was really scared that, like, um... Elliot Page and Michael Sarah's characters were going to decide to keep the baby. And I was like getting really like worried because I feel like that would just be like so awkward and so much harder to make into like a movie I would enjoy or an ending I would enjoy. Um, but that ends up not being the case. And I feel like that also like I feel like if they kept the baby and they raised it together, that would also sort of play into like the thing you're kind of talking about that this movie sort of unintentionally feels um like uh like um was it uh anti-choice yeah that i mean i believe diablo cody like did have a statement recently where she was like yeah if i knew people thought this movie would be anti-choice i wouldn't i wouldn't have written it yeah which is like weird because juno literally makes the choice <laughs> yeah she's like i'll go through with it but i'll adopt it and then I think, like, there is, like, a, a good thing where they're like, are you going to want to see the baby after? And she's like, no. And the movie kind of follows through with it. Like, Alice and Janie goes to see the baby, but, like, you know, like, does not. And I thought it was, like, a really, like, you know, powerful moment where it's like, yeah, you can, like, have have this thing and it can be emotional, but, like, you don't have to, like, see it afterwards. Like, you can just go through with, like, your plan. Yeah, I think that's really, really nice that, like, I think that's, like, kind of, like, a nice little message that, like, hey, like, if you gave up your baby for adoption and, like, you never saw them again, or, like, you didn't, even if you didn't really want to see them again, like, it's, it's like, an accidental pregnancy, like, that's totally fine. Like, that's completely valid. I think that's neat. I don't feel like that's a thing that's, like, shown a lot. Um, do we have more about Juno? Like we kind of brushed over the kiss, but oh yeah, the, the kiss just happens at the end. Um, it's between um, uh, Juno and Bleaker. Um, it's just kind of sweet. It's kind of nice. Not much about it. It's like it's it's not raining. Yeah, like... it's just yeah, it's just kind of cute and sweet and short. I'll say going to and what Emilio mentioned in where like the how the step up kiss feeling redundant where I would say this one is like redundant not in the sense that like you know it's there is some big emotional moment with her and Bleaker like you get why they kiss but I think the emotional like core thing of that film is when Jennifer Garner you know gets the baby and where she leaves a note that's like I'm still in if you're still in like that's kind of what's taking that sort of I think energy maybe from the kiss where like that's more what you care about than oh are she and Michael Sarah gonna continue seeing each other like yeah yeah I think so um, 
Yeah, I, I have nothing. Yeah, that's wrong. fair. I, I just think it's like pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. it's just like a nice little moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah. If we have nothing else to say about Juno, we can go into Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, this is. It's funny when we started doing this podcast. I'm like, oh yeah, and then we do like four Twilights or whatever, and like a Hunger Games, and somehow I didn't realize that we were going to wind up covering three of the last four Harry Potter films. Which <laughs> also weird yeah. that Half Blood Prince, where the premise is literally, where well half the premise is literally all the teens are horny now does not get a best kiss nom <laughs> also yeah also if i can if we can sort of uh switch up the order here and just sort of get it out of the way um the kiss in this one's really lame um i, I don't i have it's been forever since i've seen these movies and i'm not sure if either one of you has like enough expertise to know like do these characters did they have like romance before do they have romance after is this like a big deal <laughs> Um, yeah, I've read the order of, like, I've read all the books, and I have can probably speak, yeah, speak to that. Yeah, so in the book, Cho Chang is introduced in the third book, and she's kind of the girl, like, Harry has a crush on. And then in the fourth book, she is romantically involved with Cedric Diggory, uh, Robert Pattinson, who's going to become um, a big part of this podcast very shortly. And then and then cedric dies and then afterwards the fifth one kind of does that but a, there's a lot of stuff cut out where like she's trying to be in a relationship with harry but she's still grieving cedric and the relationship okay and the movie gives her the role of being the one who kind of she doesn't even really sell him out it's like she gets drugged and like sells him out in that sense or like it's put under interrogation techniques but in the book it's the relationship just kind yeah. of falls well, apart because she's not that, ready like, for it yeah. like Yeah, and that would actually be kind of interesting. But in this movie, like, she's barely in it, honestly. Yeah. Like, and then, like, yeah, and, like, the kiss just sort of, like, happens. It's really quick. There's, like, there's just not much to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Order of the Phoenix is famously the longest Harry Potter book and, like, the second shortest Harry Potter movie. <laughs> and a lot of stuff gets kind of cut out, Um, which... Yeah, because it's like, I, I guess in like my recollection of the, watching the movie, because I haven't like seen it in a while, but I for sure have seen it in the past. It's it's just like, it's like very lore heavy and it's a, like a lot of table setting, which I, it, it's sort of like, that's why it's easy in my head to imagine why like as a book it was very big, but then as like a movie, they were just like, we just need to get what to what the plot is and it's not a lot of plot. Uh, yeah yeah it's, it's just like, like yeah this movie is like yeah i so like i haven't seen the harry potter movies in like forever and i also have not even watched all of them um i was talking to my friend ian um and i sort of like explaining to him like the last one i saw because i didn't know which one was the last one i saw i just remember like a scene where like harry's in like a wet-ish cave and there's like a jump scare and he's like oh that's the fourth one and I was like, oh, cool. I'm glad that I'm, I'm catching up with this series right where I left off. Um, yeah, this movie is like a lot of like, yeah. it's a lot of stuff that you should know from. It's it's not a horrible movie just to watch in a vacuum. 
But it's like, boy, howdy, is there like a lot of stuff that you probably should know going in? And there's a lot of stuff that like, it's sort of leading you on to by the end. And like, I guess what do you expect from like the fifth movie in like a, in a super long saga? Yeah. But yeah, you, I mean, Wolvie, you can correct me, but this is my understanding of this movie. This is like the turning point because I feel like the first four movies, they all have the like looming Voldemort threat, but are more like they like more have a self-contained story of just like what is happening within just this book and this movie of just like this is the adventure that Harry is on this time and this is like the thing that is trying to that he's trying to accomplish and this is sort of like the turn of the books like heading towards the end game so it, it is like trying to introduce a lot of stuff that is going to lead to like the end and like their battle against Voldemort or whatever yeah. and it has to like set up a bunch of lore stuff in, in terms of that yeah, the, that is kind of it. Like, the, obviously, there's still self-contained stuff, like the whole Umbridge stuff, which is also, by, like, no coincidence, the best part of, like, the movie and the book. Um, yeah, I wish that, like, yeah, and I'm I'm glad the movie, like, devotes the most amount of time to that, because that's really, really fun. I like that a lot. Yeah, um, because the whole thing with, yeah, eventually, what starts happening with the Harry Potter movies is, and Order of the Phoenix is generally considered to be the weakest movie, though I would still rank it, like, above a couple of them. Um, I'm not a big fan of Prisoner of Azkaban, which some people say is the best one, because it kind of sets us on this path that leads us to stuff like Order of the Phoenix, where eventually they have to start making adaption choices of which subplots to cut from the book, which kind of makes the books feel uh, the movies feel less rich because basically yeah yes it makes sense if you're telling like a propulsive story to cut out like a subplot where Ron becomes the keeper for the Quidditch team and he's like really bad at it but then is able to win the big game at the end but like that's like a good subplot or in this one or like his his brother's dropping out of school which they do include in the movie they like and I was happy there but it's a whole subplot in the fifth book where they start a mail order prank service and then in the end decide to just drop out of school to start a joke shop and this is kind of just brushed over in the movie a, a lot which i i think adds to, to whatever but yeah it is because by this point they're like well now we have to start building 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 we have to introduce the concept of like the order of the phoenix and like the dumbledore's army stuff which is mostly for this one but then kind of comes back into play in the la in the last movie where it's well what are all these kids at school been doing all this time while Harry and Ron and Hermione have been off on their like final adventure outside of school they're like well doing Dumbledore army stuff so yeah it is kind of burdened with a lot of setup um also this movie came out like one week before the final book which is interesting interesting there because I think has affected its reputation a bit because, you, you know, people people were like in the mood for Harry Potter and then they're like, oh, this kind of rushes over or fast forwards through a lot of things, um, romance included. Yeah, it just sort of feels like it's so, like the romance in this movie uh, just feels like so not there and like not present. Um, 
it's a bit un. I guess it's like a really bit unfortunate about like an adaptation that you really just can't make a movie infinitely long. Yeah, and look, yeah, I don't, I don't need like four hour Harry Potter like extended editions or whatever. Um, especially in uh, this day and age where I've been. This is also the first time I've seen like this Harry Potter movies since. Uh, me and some friends had a marathon of all the Harry Potter movies, and then for some reason, the first installment of the Atlas Shrugged franchise, I forget why, like almost a decade ago, and then I, like, oh, this is good, I don't think I need to see these movies for a while. So this was my first time revisiting it since that experience, and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, you know, again... Imelda Staunton's Umbridge performance is, like, really, really good, and I think really elevates this one a lot, but it's, like, you know, it's not, yeah. not the best Harry Potter yeah. movie. Um, yeah, I wonder, like, it probably could have benefited from, like, being a little more, like, uh, it's so tough, because, like, I feel like it's... It's like the it's the middle episode of like a of like a um like a, a drama. So like it really can't afford to like cut out any of like the important plot bits that like are are relevant in like the upcoming movies. So like it's sort of like stuck where like this movie would probably be way better if it like just focused on like the good stuff and then expanded on some of that stuff. But like the question of like where do you cut from is like really important and i don't think this movie i don't think there's like a really good answer for this movie in particular actually because yeah. it all yeah and, it, and it's also like i assume that like part of the like it's like even as good as imelda Salton is and as like fun as the umbridge stuff is it's like i i sort of i don't know i assume that that whoever like directed and were and like the producers behind this movie there must have been like just some hesitance because it would have been just like the like fifth, fourth out of five of these movies that are just like we have a new defense against the dark arts, professor, and they might be evil, and that just being the main plot of the movie. So they feel they probably felt like they needed to expand past that as the, at this point. Yeah, well, that's yeah. just also just built into the books where the defense against the dark arts position is just famously cursed, and no one lasts longer than a year. So it's always like. Hmm. How are they going to get rid of them this time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like this movie, like, falls into, like, a really awkward trap where, like, all of, like, the least interesting or, like, kind of boring bits of the movie are, like, borderline necessary to either, like, um, to either, like, set up for future events or to, like, tie off ends from previous events. Yeah. Also, yeah. Like and it's also like I I have not seen most of the Harry Potter movies since like they came out and I've famously never seen Deathly Hollows Part 2 I've really never seen the last one but every time I do go back and like watch a bit of these movies I'm always like I do really enjoy these movies aesthetically. I think what they do just like from a production design standpoint and I think their use of CGI I think is very clever and I do it like enjoy just looking at these movies. So it's like Order of the Phoenix even if it's like 
can have these moments of dullness. I do just it is it is a franchise that I just enjoy looking at the movie sometimes. So it's not like the worst thing. Yeah, the aesthetic's really good. Like whenever Umbridge puts up like a new like has the like janitor Filch put up like a new rule and it's just this really cool old timey wood type thing and it's written in this neat font. It's like yeah, this this visually this is stunning. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting when you're like, oh yeah, only the plot necessary stuff because there was like a famous thing in this film where there is a very minor character in this scenes of like Sirius is Black's house called like Creature who's just like this grumpy house elf who they were gonna cut and then J.K. Rowling's like um I wouldn't do that if I were you because <laughs> Creature like has a bit more of a role in the seventh book where he helps them get like a critical object so she's like you can cut Creature but then you're gonna be kind of screwed but the seventh book hadn't come out yet so all these like book fans are like wait creature pays off so like everyone was so i just wound up creating more hype to this last book that was coming a week after the movie because everyone's like what does creature <laughs> do like <laughs> <laughs> and then oh yeah i have a also have because now at this point in the podcast like in the early episodes a lot of these movies were coming out you know when i was like a kid before ben was even born but now now that we're at a point where i'm like I remember seeing this film and I remember almost seeing it during one of my two trips to like the, well, it was the only one this year, but I took a trip to St. Louis with my like church youth group that year around for a conference and we had a free day and one of my friends really wanted to see Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix and then we decided it was a bad idea to go to a movie theater in St. Louis when we didn't know where anything was beyond like the two block radius we'd mostly been in and it led to like a big fight with this friend before she reluctantly agreed that she was not gonna sneak off alone in a strange city to go see a movie that she could just see when we got back um so though i think that was also because she was working at a summer camp that a bunch of us wound up going to right after that so this one i remember I saw most of the Harry Potter films in theaters. This was the one where, like, it wasn't opening weekend because I had to, like, wait a bit because just for just being on this conference and then being at a camp and then reading the last Harry Potter book and then seeing this movie as kind of the cap off to a couple weeks of just adventure and incident in my own life. Um, yeah, no, I don't have much else to say about Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, yeah, me neither. Yeah, I, I overall I was super scared that it was just going to be a um, non like I was I was scared that like the 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 knowledge for entry was going to be way too high and I was just going to be uh, confused and not knowing what's going on. But uh, to this movie's credit, a good chunk of it is like very self-contained and fun. Even though um, uh, Amelia, you are you are like super correct in that it is sort of this turning point from like more um more sort of like uh like to i guess to steal like a tv word like episodic sort of movies that are just sort of supposed to be these self-contained fun little things with like a little bit of stuff living in the background i would say like a good like third or even half of this movie is 
paying service to that stuff in the background where like the other half or most of it is like uh, like kind of a nice little self-contained story that is still somewhat related to the overarching one yeah um i'll say just wait ben till we get to deathly hollows part one in which a bunch of characters who had been cut out of the movies because like they didn't have time but were in previous books suddenly have to be introduced so like they start just acting and they're like Oh, yes, you know, the new Minister of Magic, because the old one who is in this movie loses his job in book six cause, for being incompetent, because, and like, not, basically for not believing that Voldemort was back. And so there's a whole subplot in book six with, can we trust this new guy that's just gone? And in this one, they're like, yeah, the new minister's, he's like, I'm the new minister. Here's like Dumbledore's will. Like, it's yeah, just... Or, like, people come in <laughs> yeah. and are like, yeah, you know the oldest Weasley yeah, brother I mean, who, like, in the like, books they've met several 50, times. 50. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like, here's the oldest yeah, Weasley. Like, He's married to this minor character from the fourth film. He got attacked by a werewolf, but you don't really care about that because you've never met him before. Like, it's... Yeah, like, if this movie is 50-50, like, like long-term lore saga stuff in like a, its own story then it's like definitely hollows part one is like 90 percent just background lore stuff that they have to set up <laughs> yeah and 10 percent oh yeah also there's a, like a lot of dumbledore backstory that's in the books that they don't really have time to do in the movies so it's just alluded to where everyone's like i can't believe these shocking revelations about dumbledore's character but <laughs> uh, yeah um if we want to we can move on to our kiss uh and movie ratings yeah so we can start i with... can yeah i'll i can start us off with our my movies so um at the bottom as you could probably have guessed by listening to this podcast uh probably right at the bottom is disturbia um I've, I'd like it less than the even Stevens movie, honestly. Um, just not super interesting. Not even all that funny. Um, could have been really cool. Shia LaBeouf doesn't do a horrible job. Um, yeah. Uh, and then right above that, I would have to say probably Step Up 2. Um, the dancing is really, really fun. But, like, I feel like it tries to juggle too much without, like, actually, uh, like, committing to, like, one side or the other of, like, what kind of movie it wants to be. And I feel like that sort of it damages this movie's quality. And then just probably slightly above that is the Harry Potter one. Um, despite um, the high barrier to entry for some of, like, the lore stuff in this, I still had, like, a tremendous amount of fun with this movie. It's got, a, like, a very good visual style, a lot of, like, the, the environments... And just even sometimes the way things are shot is like very, very fun um, and whimsical. Uh, and then I would have to say it's so close, but I think my top slot probably goes to Enchanted with Juno just below it. Um, such a fun movie. Uh, just absolutely like give it a watch. Like, I don't know if, if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. If you've already seen it, give it a second watch. It's just fantastic. Yeah, right. Um. Yeah, for me, we can, yeah, yeah, the Sturbia at the bottom, um, yeah, no, not a terrible movie, I enjoyed it, but, like, it, 
definitely not the best one to do that premise. Um, then, then probably Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Again, mostly for, like, the uh, Umbridge stuff. Yeah, like, uh, gotta love, like, trying to, you know, overthrow the, like, oh, yeah, interloper who comes in trying to inflict order on your wizard school. Um, and, yeah, then after that, I would say, um, yeah, probably step up, step up to the streets. Like, you know, solid movie, good dancing. Yeah, and then probably the same top two with Juno and then Enchanted in that top slot. Like, yeah. again, both both good, both like very, very good, very charming movies from that year. It's just Enchanted as a bit of the edge. Um, and then Emilio, you can rank, you can leave, like, you've seen everyone but Disturbia or whatever. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll put I'm I'm gonna rank them all just like based on my perception of them, even if like I haven't, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'll put Disturbia at the bottom, and then I'll probably put Harry Potter above it, then Enchanted above. No, I'm gonna put Juno third, then Enchanted. No, then Step Up second, and then Enchanted first. Oh. Step up second might seem a little high, but I just enjoy the dancing a lot, and that is one of the reasons I saw that movie a lot. And just like, I think of just shooting dancing, it's like among the best that I that I've ever seen it. That I've just it's like among the best that I've seen, and I think the ending dance segment I think is very good and very cool, yeah. and it's just and I appreciate it on that level, even like. As if as a narrative film, I it doesn't fully work. Oh yeah, there's definitely like a lot to like about Step Up too. Like it's and yeah, but how did but how do the kisses stack up? Yeah, um, I can yeah I can go again. I think right at the bottom, pretty obvious. Uh, it's the Harry Potter one. It's like it's gone so fast the love story uh in this movie takes up like so little time i think there's like more time dedicated to the to the giant that uh hagrid has been um taking care of than there is towards the love story um then i think above that um i think i'd probably put the step up to one i think we did talk about uh it's like slight redundancy and i, I absolutely agree with that um and then above that you have a Juno one, which I think suffers from, like, a similar problem, but it's just, like, a lot uh, sweeter um, and, like, a little, like, just a little cuter, I would say. Um, and then um, it's it's when in doubles, I think I would put the Enchanted one at the top with the Disturbia one second, you know? Wow. Um, not a great movie. Really good kiss, honestly. Yeah. Um, funny thing about Hagrid's giant half-brother, in the Mad Magazine parody of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, there's, like, a joke panel where, like, they're talking about all the stuff that's got cut, and then Harry's like, yeah, if you squint, you can see, like, the subplot about Hagrid's half-giant brother, Grop, in my glasses. Because everyone just assumed, well, you definitely lose the Grop stuff, right? And then he plays a weird part, a weirdly big part in the climax of the Umbridge <laughs> thing, where he just takes her wand suddenly. Um, 
But yeah, Harry Potter also at the bottom of my KISS rankings. Um, and then, yeah. And then probably, then probably the Disturbia one, which, I don't know, like, it, it's good, really good. But, you know, there's some strong kisses this year. Didn't do a ton for me. Um, then Juno? Juno, like, solid, solid, sweet kiss in the middle, like, which, it's a good kiss, even though Michael Sarah's not in it a lot, which I think just speaks to, like, how charismatic Michael Sarah is, but, hey, then Step Up 2 in that number two, 2 slot, like, yeah, and it went down a bit where I'm like, yeah, it's, you don't need that kiss, but, hey, it's, it's too attractive. It's like two attractive actors kissing. That's always going to score some points with me. Um, and then yeah, Enchanted kind of takes that top slot this year. I think like, you know, turns out yeah. Well, there's a reason Patrick Dempsey was called McDreamy on Grey's Anatomy, and it's because he does kind of have that dreaminess to him, and that definitely carries through in his kissing abilities. Even if this probably was not as, like, good as some of his kisses on Grey's Anatomy with Ellen Pompeo, but, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's your turn. Sorry. Hi. No, no, no. Okay, so obvious bottom. I'll just say generally, even though this is, like, not a, I imagine, like, a pretty decent crop of movies for, like, what ends up being in the best kiss category at the MTV Movie Awards, I don't feel like... I there I don't think there's a single kiss here I don't have like some reservations about like some tiny criticism about but I think it's like the obvious bottom is Harry Potter it's just like it is both limp in execution and also not like any sort of satisfying conclusion to like a well-built storyline so it's just like batting over two Second, I mean, second to last, I would probably put, now this is tough, because I feel like it's a battle between Step Up and Juno, and it's one of those things where it's just like, I think just like kiss-wise, I prefer a hot kiss to just like a nice, sweet, normal kiss, but it is inarguable that the one in Juno is better executed than Step Up, so it's tough. But I'm just, I'm going to stick with Step Up being my favorite. So I'm going to put Juno fourth, Step Up third, then put, then put, I'm going to put Enchanted second. I think it, it's like a very good buildup of a moment. And I think it's like Patrick Dempsey does, it does have like a very good like pre-kiss there. And there's some chemistry there, but it's like. A little too like cute and chase for me and then i'm gonna put shia labeouf sarah romer disturbia number one of just like what the best kiss this is the mtv movie awards this is an awards thing there's an awards a contest for mostly teens and like young adults i sort of feel like movies for teens should have a lot more kissing and like stuff like that around them so i'm just gonna like throw my hat on disturbia being the best kiss out of this list and that's that is my ranking i should just rewatch a disturbia kiss because i was like yeah but maybe it's like no, i think it's pretty like, good 
<laughs> yeah. I guess it's like what I would describe it as like if I were going to have any of these kisses in real life, I think I would want to have the Disturbio one. Yeah. I'll say it is interesting because now, like when you mentioned, oh yeah, this is for like teens. This is when I think the awards begin getting more teen oriented. Like they still throw some like kind of adult fare in there, but like it's yeah. But you're not seeing much like how to make an American quilts or bounds from like this point forward. Um, but on the but the positive of that is you're not seeing any Lolitas ever. God. Yeah, and you and it's like. If you look at, like, the rest of the categories, there is stuff like Super Bad and Hairspray and Knocked Up nominated that you're like, huh, like, why wouldn't you put a kiss from, like, one of those movies in there? Or, like, even, like, I Now Pronounce Who Chuck and Larry, which is, like, a weird, like, Adam Sandler comedy. It's, like, they love doing the, like, oh, this is, well, my perception is, I guess you guys are more of the experts, but, like, they love doing the, like, Oh, this is like the funny, like same sex, like kiss or whatever. Like this is like a funny kiss. We're gonna put it in the best kiss category, which that movie has in spades. And it's like, I wonder why this is the list they came up with. Like, why this is the category where Harry Potter fell to, or like where Juno fell to. Yeah, there's definitely one where I'm like, hmm. There could have been a lot of like alternate like ones you put in there other than the these movies uh, i'll say to to your thing they actually have with the exception with the notable exception of american pie 2 which won most of the same sex kisses there have actually not been that like gay panicky comedy kisses as i had initially feared like the yeah a lot of them have been like pretty tasteful that's like, been um, a nice like, discovery uh, yeah yeah, I don't think, and I don't think um, this is uh, going to change. But we, I don't think there's ever going to be a a three way kiss where it's two guys, one girl. Unfortunately. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like we're moving towards some A twenty four movie getting nominated for best kiss at the MTV Movie Awards where that happens. Oh, and I, I don't. So. I wouldn't put that. I wouldn't put that past happening sometime soon but it's like yeah it's just like there is almost maybe there's probably an alternate list you could make of just movies that were nominated at the mtv movie awards of better kisses than what this is like disturbia is the one that makes sense to me of just like yeah this is probably was probably a big movie for teens and we needed to find the place for it to go into, and it has some like sexy stuff in it so we're gonna throw it in there yeah, it, and it even like Step Up, I guess, which is also like again like nominally a romance movie. Yeah, I'll say this is definitely like as far as kissing years ago. Uh, we had your co-host Jesse on for like two thousand four, which was like a year where, other than like the kiss and monster, the rest of the kisses were like Starsky and Hutch and Bruce Almighty, and were not like good kisses at all. So like, I think the kisses there were probably more solid than that year, but. Um, but definitely like not not the best year it, it was no 2006 which was like the Brokeback Mountain and Hustle and Flow year but like um, also I'm glad that we're at the point of the podcast now where I can just look back on other years and go yeah good kiss year bad kiss year this is kind of like a mid- middling one like 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But, um, does anyone have anything else they want to say about any of these movies before we close the book on 2008? Well, then we can move on yeah. to, yeah, recommendation of the week, which, yeah, for anyone who's, yeah, never listened before, is just where we can recommend anything, like, sometimes it's a movie, sometimes it's not, like, it's just whatever you want for, like, the listeners yeah. to go to. We've had, we've had guests recommend food uh, and drinks. <laughs> any anything at all anything that your heart desires whatever whatever's scratching that itch for you right now or in the past yeah oh uh, okay so there is this movie that came out uh five years ago i guess at this point called raw which is like this like french horror movie about like cannibal sort of but that i'm like i don't like fully love but at one, they have this one scene where a like a girl is like walking into like this crazy like raunchy party, and it's like basically like this one shot, and it's set to this song called "Despair Hangover and Ecstasy" by a like Finnish dance band called The Do, and I think that song is tremendous, and that is what I will recommend is that people listen to "Despair Hangover and Ecstasy." Can they listen to it without having to watch Raw? Yes, it is truly just like a song that was included in the movie, but it is like very much its own song that it it has its own energy. That it's just like it is communicated wh- whether or not you watch the movie, you will get why. I'm really glad I you think that whole good. Raw story. Like, yeah. go- it- and it's like very like jamming and i enjoy listening and i enjoy like dancing around to it a lot recently uh, so yeah listen to that song cool. and what do you got this week yep uh this week um i've been watching some videos on like ai and like ai and fiction and like science fiction and stuff like that so i'm gonna throw everyone towards the um, Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The Measure of a Man. It's season two, episode nine. Um, it's just a really, really nice movie um, sort of centered around the character Data, who is like an artificial intelligence. I think it poses some really interesting questions. And it's just it's just a fun episode with like really, really good exchanges. I feel like I feel like you don't would even need a lot of context going in. Uh, my dad's a big Trek head. Um, he could definitely vouch for it. Um, I would be a truck head if I had more time in the day. Uh, but this episode is really, really good. Uh, cool. Hmm. Wow, yeah. Going to going the TV route. So for mine, for the first time, I'm actually going to nominate something that we're going to talk about more, more in like a future episode of the podcast. Um, Netflix original Sex Education, which just dropped its third season. Um, it is maybe, like, it's definitely, I think, of all the Netflix originals currently airing, I would say it's probably the best one. Um, of all the ones they've had, it would also be, like, very high up on that list for me. Um, it's a show about uh, Aza Butterfield, who Hollywood never really figured out, um, but he's 
but he plays the son of yeah but he plays the son of this sex therapist who like has no boundaries with him and he has learned and while like he has a lot of hang-ups like he's learned a lot of knowledge and he and a new girl at his kind of private school the show coming ends with them starting like essentially a a clinic where he gives advice to classmates on various sexual hang-ups and it's a very funny show it's really heartfelt and sincere and it like explores all kind of manners of issues like you hear that premise and you're like oh this is gonna be some kind of like goofy like comedy thing but like it is like very earnest and in its things and it touches on you know everything from like gender identity to like to yeah to like role play play to consent and the importance of condoms and stuff and like has a lot of characters who start kind of as like caricatures who then become really fleshed out and it's just a world i love spending time in i'll talk about it more when we get to its best kiss nom year in 2019 but one last thing relevant to this episode is the third season does kind of do an umbrage arc where part of the plot is at the end of the second season they get a lot of bad press due to both one of the characters putting on kind of a sex musical and then also a chlamydia outbreak that gets them labeled as like the sex school so they bring in this new head head mistress who initially seems like she's some cool hit person and then it quickly becomes kind of like an umbrage thing where she's forcing a bunch of rules and regulations and just kind of yeah increasingly escalating like terrorizing the students until they start fighting back and it's really good um yeah but with that that takes us to plug. So, Emilio, loved having you on this week. What do you got to plug? Hello. At this point in the audio file, it got corrupted and I lost a lot of it. But I have Emilio's plugs. Um, his Twitter is I'm Laugh Alone. His letterbox is I Laugh Alone. And he has a podcast called Cans I Kick It. And they are currently at the New York Film Festival doing Really cool stuff. Not sure if they're currently there anymore. Time is weird. Yeah, you had a lot. You, thanks for being on. I think you were like our most insightful guest for like the actual topic of the show, and not Jack talking about Space Jam Two for five minutes with us. Like, <laughs> listen, everyone brings something, and we we equally value and appreciate it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a pretty tangenty. I'll say when we first started doing this podcast, our episodes were around an like an hour long, and then at some point, like we we did an almost three hour episode before we before we did like one closer to the two hour range where we normally are now. So we like tangents, but we also like focus. We, and... Yeah, thanks yeah. For being on. it's a little bit um, of both. Ben, plug, plug your stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, you can find me on my Instagram at uh, not2pens. That is N-O-T underscore two underscore P-E-N-S. You can also find me on Twitter uh, at futalbi. That is uh, F-U-T underscore A-L-B-E-E. Uh, the name on Twitter is also uh, Gacker TTV. I don't stream on Twitch. I just thought it was really funny to add that to the end of my name. Um, yeah. 
Uh, those are my two main socials. Oh, that's why you added the TTVT name. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's because it's because um, I start. I did it on my Twitch as well, like my Twitch account, because I have one to like watch people. But whenever um, something happens during one of Max streams, I always leave a comment. It's like, wow, losing a game that would never happen on my streams. <laughs> that's a really good bit. Um, cool. So you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at like a Wolverine. Um, it's spelled like it sounds, all con- consistent. Um, our theme song was done by Matt Samard. He has no socials, but I thank him every week so I don't have to pay him anything. Um, then Ben did the art, which at this point should maybe be updated to a new version where we look a bit more like ourselves and I actually have a beard. Um, you, can, you can find the podcast on Twitter at goldpopcornpod, and you can email us if you would like at pastagoldenpopcorn at gmail.com. Uh, rate, view, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends and all that jazz and yeah with that all that's left to do is tell you what's coming up next week um so for 2009 which i also uh, the much anticipated episode um will it be our longest we'll see but it is the second like it i'll say it is the second best kiss year with six movies since our second episode so There's going to be a lot of ground to cover. Included. Yeah, not limited to, but definitely including these nominees. Angelina Jolie and James McAvoy. Wanted. Frida Pinto and Dev Patel. Slumdog Millionaire. James Franco and Sean Penn. Milk. Paul Rudd and Thomas Lennon. I love you, man. Vanessa Hudgens and Zac Efron. High School Musical 3, Senior Year. And the winner, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, Twilight. Get used to hearing those names for winner, because it's... We're headed into Twilight Country, folks. Um, we have one We have one guest lined up who's, like, never seen a Twilight movie, so that'll be great. Like, oh, once again, I did not plan anything for this second. Um... The la- the last, like, 80 minutes of Juno, or whatever, is way better than the first 10 minutes of Juno. Just... Wait, um... This might be a good ending bit. You're a part-time editor and a full-time friend. We're ranked 115th in Ireland. I don't want to sing anymore, because this is kinda hard. <laughs>